Well, could we open our Bible to Philippians chapter 3? Philippians chapter 3. And I'd like to comment just uh, briefly on this passage of Scripture and then we'll have some more commentary at the end this morning. What I'd like to do with Philippians chapter 3 is I'd like simply to begin at verse number 1 and just read through to about verse 14 and just simply comment on it as we proceed through it. This this chapter, this portion of Scripture is a portion of Scripture where you can, you know, if you could picture picture yourself walking along a a piece of ground and you come to a place where there's a mine and you see the entrance to the mine. And so you walk along and you come to an entrance of a mine and here you find that you can continue to walk or you can also go into the mine and explore. And once you enter the mine and begin to explore, you find that you can go down levels deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And it seems as if there's a great depth to this mine and there's treasures there. And the deeper you go, the greater the treasure you find. But sometimes you could just walk on by and not go down. This passage is like that. Because there are phrases and words and places in this passage that will not be able to plumb, will not be able to descend into today. But we'll touch on them a little bit as we as we read them. And we read this passage as we anticipate moving ahead and going forward. It says, finally, my brothers... Rejoice in the Lord. And uh, I think I'd like to emphasize, we should emphasize that. Just right now, we are leaving 2015, and we're moving into a new year. And let's uh, purpose in our hearts that regardless of how we feel about things, that we uh, purpose in our heart that we will rejoice in the Lord. There's a great many things and reasons to rejoice in the Lord. He continues to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and it is a protection for you. Watch out for dogs. And I find it interesting the use of this word dogs. Oftentimes in in the New Testament, the reference is to dogs. He's writing to them, watch out for dogs. Watch out for evildoers or evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Jews had a way of referring and referencing Gentiles as dogs. And the idea seems to be, on the surface, the idea seems to be of talking about people, it seems like a very derogatory term, right? Dogs. But I believe the idea is, the, is that of people who are outside the covenant with God, people who aren't able to appreciate and are not experiencing God's covenant with, with man. So the Jews used that phrase, the dogs, referring to Gentiles, who they considered to be outside of the covenant with God. And Paul now is using this same term, and he's actually speaking about certain Jews. Not all Jews, but he's writing about certain Jews who are really outside of the covenant with God. They're outside of this new covenant with God. The old covenant, they are very prideful in thinking they're justified with God because of the old covenant. But now there's a new covenant. God has made a new covenant. And these Jews are outside of God because they are not entering into this new covenant. So 
he said, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And he's talking about the legalistic Jews who believed in external things. Their religion was a, a long list of external things that they must do. And if they did those things, they would be justified or right with God in, right, in covenant with God. And the very beginning was circumcision, physical, in the flesh, on the eighth day. And the apostle is writing and saying that uh, watch out for those people who, who emphasize externals, especially putting all their confidence that they're right with God because they have experienced physical circumcision. He writes this, For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. And he says very clearly that there's a spiritual significance even in physical circumcision. It was given as a type and as an illustration of removing the flesh, and that if you look at it in the light of the new covenant, it's not the external act that's important, but it is the idea of not walking in the flesh, but in the spirit. So the idea of, of circumcision is those of us who have put off the flesh, which signifies the old na nature, and we've put on the new nature in Christ Jesus, we are the circumcision in the new covenant. In other words, the new covenant way of looking at circumcision is different than the old covenant way of looking at it. So he begins like that. He says in verse 4, Although I once had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's talking about having confidence just in natural things or the things that we do. Now it's my sense this morning that we are being encouraged as we move into 2016 to not place any confidence in the things that we do, the external parts of our lives, the external things. Now, obviously, it's important. Uh, the way we live our lives is important. But to think that we are justified with God because of the things that we do, we're justified or right with God because of the things that we do. We say we don't do these things and we do these other things, therefore we are justified or right with God. That's not true. All those things that we should do do not make us uh, right with God. They testify to the fact that we are right with God. They are results or evidences of a right heart. But those actions in themselves do not justify anyone before God. So we can do all the external things. We can do. We can go to meetings, church, prayer meeting. We can do all those things. We can witness. We can do a great number of things, and not drink and smoke and you know all those things, and still not be right with God. That's an amazing thing, and that's what the apostle the apostle is saying. Your confidence that you're right with God must not be based on the external things that you do or do not do. But they must be based on your confidence and your faith in Christ Jesus. He's saying about himself, and he gives a little history of himself. He said, if anyone could be confident in the attainments of, that they have in a natural way, it would be himself. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the nation of Israel. 
He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew, born of Hebrews. His parents were Hebrews. He's a Hebrew. You know also he was a Roman citizen, but we won't get into how that occurred. He was born a Roman citizen, but he was a Jew. His parents were Hebrews. He says, uh, he continues, regarding the law, he was a Pharisee, meaning uh, he was very conservative in his uh, doctrines and beliefs and religion. Regarding zeal, uh, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, he was blameless. He said, now listen to this in verse 7, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's beginning to talk about the importance of relationship and the intimate knowledge of Christ Jesus. Knowing Him. Being right with God based on this knowledge of Christ and not based on His religious attainments. He continues... Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them, notice this, and consider them filth. That's a very strong word. Another translation says, more modern says garbage. Another translation says refuse. Now what's he talking about, refuse? He's talking about all of those things that formerly were his pride and joy. Uh, All those things in his life, you know, all this... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a tribe of, I'm a Hebrew, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, I was circumcised on the eighth day, I'm a Pharisee, I was taught at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the prime teachers in Jerusalem. Uh, I was zealous more than my brothers. No one was more zealous than I. I was so zealous that I persecuted the church. So there was a time in his life that his his sense that he was in good standing with God, was based on those things, all of those things. And he could stand, and he did, oftentimes, and say, I thank you, God, that I am in right relationship with you because of all these things that I am and I have done. Like, I am at the top of my class. But now, uh, after he has come to insight into how a person is made right with God in the new covenant through Christ Jesus, he says all those things now, All those attainments, to me, are refuse. They are garbage. They are very strong language. They are filth. I find this really strange. No, strange is the wrong word. I find it... I find it um, very important what he's saying. What he seems to be very clearly saying is that I'm not just laying these things aside, but I am actually putting these things completely away. What do you do? How do you treat you treat certain things? There, there are certain things that you have, you know, in that little, every home in the kitchen has a, a little container, and you put the leftover scraps from the supper table, you, you, know, you know, the leftovers, and the, when you peel the potatoes, you put the peelings in there, right? And all that, and what do you call that? You call that garbage, and you take that to the garbage disposal, right? You take it there. There are other things that you're not using in your home that you lay aside. You know, you set them aside. Well, I don't need that. 
winter coats in the summertime, summer attire in the wintertime. You know, we'll lay these aside for now. Pat puts them in a bit of a bin, and we put them away upstairs. And, and you, you don't take those to the garbage. It's not that you're disposing of those things. You're just laying those things aside. But he's talking about all these attainments that people in Judaism were seeking and considering him, Paul, to be the epitome, the prime example of achievement in Judaism. And he's saying, basically, I consider it refuse. I consider it filth. This is very, these are very strong words. And he's basically trying to convince the people in Philippi that you are not right with God based on these things. Not. And don't think that you are, because you're not. You know, we find it even today, we, we, we say, as we describe the Apostle Paul, we even say, and I think I've probably said this myself at times, you know, he benefit, benefited from all those things, all those experiences. He was a great beneficiary from all of those sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, learning the Old Testament scriptures, and he was a great benefit. And even the Lord knew he would have all that background and called him to be an apostle based on all that background. But you know, the apostles doesn't say that. He does not say that. Now, he, he says, my ambition is that I may gain Christ. In verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I find, what is the righteousness that is based on faith? What is the righteousness based on faith? Uh, what does it mean when someone says that you should trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, need to believe on Him and trust Him. If you've heard people give testimony and say, you know, at a certain point in time they trusted Christ, they gave their heart to Christ, they trusted Christ. You know, in my early years, I struggled with those phrases. Uh, to me, they didn't make make any sense. <laughs> they they didn't. They did not make sense to me. Seth. I wonder if you could do me a favor. Would you? I'm not going to embarrass you. I mean, hey, Seth, same age. Seth and I were born the same day. <laughs> I wonder if you could come and sit in this chair here for me, right here. Okay? Can you do that? Right here? Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> right here. See, this... It'll hold you, right? You can put your confidence in it. Right here, this, you see this chair here, eh? You see it? Right here? <laughs> you say, what are you doing? Well, you see, now when I ask, invite Seth, Seth's saying, you're crazy. I, I can't. There's no chair there. I'm asking him to put his confidence in something he can't see. Something that's not real to him. You can't do that. Right? You can't do that. Now, if I said, and I'm not going to ask you to do it, but if I said, Seth, would you come and have a seat here in this chair here with me? Seth would have no difficulty doing that because this chair is real, right? 
It's real to you. If I invited you to put your confidence in this chair, that this chair is capable of holding you, then you put your confidence and trust you've sat in chairs, you would have no trouble. You could come and you'd just sit down. You wouldn't be afraid. You wouldn't worry. You would just come and sit right down in the chair. The righteousness, righteousness that is by faith in Christ is a righteousness that comes. Faith comes by the revelation of the truth of who Christ is. In other words, he's made real to you. He is made real. What he has done for you has been made personal and real. And you then are able to put your confidence in what he has done on your behalf. You marvel that he knew you. You say, how could he know me? I wasn't even born, but he knew you in advance. You know, when that first... And that first, that concept first began to dawn on me. It came as a revelation. And then I found that I could gladly, I could place my confidence in Christ. And then when people said that he, they trusted Christ, now I could understand it made sense to me now because this had been made real. But it must be made real by revelation of the truth. That's what the Apostle is talking about. He said, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith or confidence or trust in Christ, who has been made real to me by the revelation of the truth. He says, the righteousness from God based on faith. I said before one time, my older brother John and I were having a discussion, and he was testing me in those early in those early months, and he was testing me because he uh, was the one who was trained for ministry in our family, and he was the one that had experienced the falling away in his life, his personal life, and he was the one that saw his uh, black sheep younger brother now coming into a new relationship with Jesus and he I believe he wanted it to be genuine but he didn't know if it was genuine and he wanted to test to see if it was genuine and so he attempted to discourage it he attempted to discourage it and his effort to discourage it was to apply and provide different rationale or reasons for the change you know you're coming to you're 26 years old, you're beginning to come to a level of maturity now, you know, all these different things. I said to him, I said to him, Christ Jesus has been made real to me. He has been made real to me. I said, he is real to me. If, if I were walking down Queen Street and if he were walking down Queen Street, I would recognize him, I said. It seems like an unusual thing to say. It just came to me that if I could see him, if, there, if he appeared, I would know him. You see, because inside, I had been introduced to him. I knew him inside. That's the righteousness of faith. That's what it is. That's what it is. And this is what the apostle is teaching the people to put their confidence in. You're right with God based on a righteousness that comes by faith. Now, all the good works, all the good works are a result of that. 
they testify to the reality of that. But those works in themselves will not justify anyone before God. What a fundamental truth. Just a few more verses. In verse 10, he, he continues and writes, My goal, listen to these words, fantastic. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. Calvin, that's what you were talking about. Ken, that's what you were talking about. That's what you were saying in different words. But you want to know the power of his resurrection in your life. You want to have the power of the arisen Jesus being manifested in and through you so that your right relationship with him is made evident by the way you live and not just by religious things you say. Right? My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and, listen to this though, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And there's a link, and this is one of those places I alluded to at the beginning where it's like a mine. We could take, uh, how much time do you have? How much time do you have today? Nobody's doing anything for the rest of the day. Uh, We could take a break for lunch and then come back again. This is a mine. This is a place in the scripture where we can stop and we go down deep, deep, deep. And the deeper we go down, the greater more valuable the treasure. My goal is to know him. Power of his resurrection. And then he links it with this and the fellowship of his sufferings. And my question to you this morning is what is the fellowship of his sufferings? What is that? Fellowship of his sufferings. Because there's a link between the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I could just introduce this to you. I'm not going to go too deep in it. I'm not going to go right down into the mind today. But I could introduce this to you fairly recently in my own experience. Did you ever feel sorry for yourself? Anybody here ever feel sorry? You ever have any pity parties? Nobody's going to admit to any. We all do sometimes, some more and some less, right? Some people don't have any. I don't think Don has pity parties. I mean, if he does, he doesn't tell me about them. But I don't think he does. And that's good. I don't either. Pat's looking at me. But I'm tempted to sometimes. And there's a difference. I'm tempted to sometimes, but I do not have them. I'm tempted to them. I'm invited to one. And I decline the invitation. <laughs> Sometimes I read the invitation two or three times before I decline it. <laughs> and then this came. The fellowship of his sufferings. Just the phrase came to me. Do you know the fellowship of his sufferings? Because we want to know the power of his resurrection. But to know the power of his resurrection is predicated upon and dependent upon the fellowship of his sufferings. What are those? What are they? And what said, what first that came was, this is not the suffering of Golgotha. This is not the suffering of the cross. The fellowship of his sufferings. He is not asking you and me to participate in that suffering that was uniquely his own, that only he could accomplish. 
He does not need, nor is it appropriate for us to think that we can participate in that suffering. Now, that may be a little different than the way we have thought about this. I find there's quite a few things that are coming now that are a little bit different from some of the ways we have thought about things. The fellowship of his sufferings. Let me give an example. This is the one that came to me. As a baby Jesus, baby Jesus, the baby, and as he began to grow and mature, very, very early on, as he developed in his intelligence and intellect as a, as a child, as a baby, he progressively came into a realization and knowledge of who he was. Now, a great deal of this, the vast majority of this, I do not know anything about. And I'm not pretending to. But I do know that there was a progressive revelation and knowledge in the child Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form within the baby Jesus. But the realization of the child, the human being, of exactly the information and understanding is to develop. And as he develops in this, he comes to realize who he is. And he is absolutely dependent upon and chooses to make himself thus dependent on the Holy Spirit before the decision was made that he would become man. It's marvelous. And so he knows, and then at the age of about 30, he experiences baptism in the Jordan by John, and he launches his earthly ministry. And he knows who he is. And his family reject him. They misunderstand. There is a, 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 mo- a moment where he is ministering in a certain place and his family come down, including his mother and brethren, and they come down and their intention is to take him and seize him and take him away from that place because they are concerned that he's probably lost. The, he, he, there's something wrong with him? Just think about that. Even his mother is with them. If anyone should have treasured those things in her heart, which she did, and had tremendous knowledge about something about who he was, it would be her. See this this idea of he, him, Jesus of Nazareth, knowing exactly who he is, and yet being rejected and spurned, and misunderstood by all those around him, those he had come to embrace, and to show the love of God, including the members closest members of his family. That's suffering. That's a kind of suffering. And you could multiply that level of suffering uh, many, many times in many, many different ways. To be misunderstood on the things that he would say. And to speak words in the love of God, absolutely unmitigated, complete love of God, and have people accuse him of even, accuse him of being uh, demonically inspired. Full of the Holy Ghost. The fullness of the Godhead dwelling within him in bodily form. So that if his humanity could have been parted as the waters of the sea could be parted. Then the people would have fallen to the ground. Unable to see completely blind. Some of them struck dead. Because they could not bear in their flesh the glory of God. 
unshielded. His humanity shielded the glory of God. It's amazing, these things. And in his humanity, in his human, as a human being, there's suffering in that. Suffering in that. And this is the kind of suffering that we have been invited to participate in. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, the scripture says. As they treated me, so in that way they will treat you, he said. But if they believed me, and some did, they will believe you, and some will. It's a fellowship of his sufferings. And we sometimes, we, we don't want that. We don't want that. We don't want that. We want to be esteemed. We want to be valued. We don't want to be misunderstood. We don't want to see these kinds. We want to be respected. You know, we want to be respected. Well, if we live the carnal life and were successful in the natural life, we would be respected. But if our emphasis in this world is to, resent, is to express the Lord Jesus Christ and to talk about the things of the Spirit of God and talk about sin and rebuke evil, and to say that's not okay, then we will experience a kind of suffering that is the suffering of Jesus, the fellowship of his suffering. But the other side of that then is we will be in a position to begin to experience and increasingly experience the power of his resurrection. I never... I can say to you I never recognized that the portal or the doorway to Calvin's desire and Ken's desire and prayer earnestly, the power of God would be manifested through us. Actually, there is a portal, and that portal is the fellowship of his sufferings. So remember, when you begin to experience that kind of suffering for the name of Jesus, then don't shrink away from it, right? I mean, if we're doing something to draw some kind of criticism, you know, that we, that we should not do, then obviously we should not do that. But if we're serving the Lord and walking in the Spirit, and as a consequence of that, we are misunderstood, and we experience that kind of misunderstanding, and when our best efforts to present Christ to a person is, are misunderstood and we're falsely accused of something, then remember that Jesus was thus treated... And he said, in the way they treated me, they will treat you, if you really represent me. It's the fellowship of his sufferings, and that's the portal or the doorway to experiencing the power of his resurrection. Verse number 12, he writes, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. That's something like Pat was. I overheard her saying to someone not too long ago. You know, we talk about having 
you know, uh, holding on to Jesus. But it's better said, you know, uh, He is holding on to us. He's holding on to us. Then we come to the last two verses of this portion. And he writes, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it completely. This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. This is our emphasis now for 2016. Forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. And so as we move into 2016, there comes a moment, and I suggest the moment is now, where we turn away from the things that are past, and we turn now and we pivot and look towards the future, and we forget the things that are behind, and reach forward to what is ahead. And he said, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Now I'll just close this portion with this. But previously in verse 10, he's talking in verse 14 about pursuing my goal. But in verse 10, he already has told us what his goal is. And here we say it again. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. 